0: A shortage of drama there. You've got Donald Trump talking about Rocket Man. And uh, just before Donald Trump, of course, uh, started his speech, uh, the um, representative uh, of the uh, North Korea actually walked out of the General Assembly. So what did you, first and foremost, make of Donald Trump's tone in
1: that speech? Well, uh, first and foremost, I mean, I'm, I'm thankful it was just a speech. <laughs> Rather than anything I else. I think you
0: and many others... <laughs>
1: yeah I mean look i we knew that the moment he was he was going to go to that podium to stand in front of the rostrum uh that he was going to let loose uh, a verbal a, a verbal firestorm uh on his favorite enemies uh the countries that he is most annoyed with, and the instruments by which uh their various activities are are constrained in this case iran uh but The the, the tone and the texture of it, I I don't think I can recall ever uh, an American president standing in a public forum, uh, threatening to utterly destroy an entire nation, even in the height of World War II, before the UN was formed. That was never part of um, uh, of the agenda. The United States did not pledge to utterly destroy Germany and Japan. Um, now, we shouldn't anticipate that in any moment now uh, a war breaks out, but uh, the, the, the rhetorical quality of, of Donald Trump's address it uh, takes your breath away. I <laughs> That's the only
0: thing I can think of. It it, it certainly does. And and it also raises the question there, as you said, you know, many people are wondering, are we on the brink of another world war? And as you said, we shouldn't rush to that. But what does this mean for um, diplomacy or finding a viable option diplomatically to resolve the tension within the Kore- Korean uh, peninsula, given what Trump has just said?
1: Well, I mean, let's also keep in mind that that the the North Korean leader has engaged in similar kinds of language. Uh, uh, he has he and his and his predecessor father uh, have often promised uh a a field of what is a, a a field of fire and destruction on South Korea and uh fields of destruction and flame uh, on the United States. I mean, so the rhetorical excesses are are are, are often being employed in this, um, but that's very different than actualities. I mean, you don't see, for example, massed uh, movements of North Korean troops right up to the demilitarized zone. You don't see equivalent numbers of South Korean troops uh, together with American and other forces. Up to the southern edge of the demilitarized zone, so we can be we can be assured that the actualities on the ground are rather different than the rhetoric in the air. Uh, I just wanted add a footnote. I mean, the last uh, when I was I was very young. It's probably before your time. Um, I can recall the Soviet Union's Nikita Khrushchev uh, at the UN. he um, wasn't. He wasn't giving one of these speeches right at the the beginning of a fall session, but it was in in another environment, another speech, um, in which he was, for rhetorical effect, he took his shoe off and started pounding his desk with his shoe, in case you weren't listening to the words and you hadn't been sufficiently (laughs) disconcerted by it, Um, and... If you listen then to the translation, you should have been uh, apprised of the fact that he was particularly upset as well, um, and that's that's sort of like the benchmark for me of rhetorical excess at the United Nations. But Donald Trump's version of it comes real close. Um, he didn't take his shoe off, I guess, because he doesn't like to do those things. Um, but what this does is it sets a a texture of anticipation for further and even more excessive rhetorical impact, and that can, not will, but can set the tone for actualities on the ground. Uh, Having said all that, if the North Koreans do in fact launch another test missile, and it does in fact head in the direction of Guam, which is an American island in the the Southern Pacific, and if perish the thought uh, such a a, a missile also contained a nuclear weapon for testing now that really would to, that really would set the cat among the pigeons
0: and uh, just a final one uh, quickly on uh, the Iran nuclear deal now um, it was dubbed as one of the diplomatic successes of barack obama 's tenure uh, Donald Trump calls it the worst embarrassment in u s history what 's your take on that
1: well i mean it's it 's awkward um for the Americans at this point, because so far, at least, uh, they have certified, in fact, that the Iranians were fulfilling their obligations under the uh, the accord. It's not a treaty, uh, and it's not a UN instrument. It was a, it was an, an accord between uh, the five permanent members of the United Nations plus Germany, hence its name P P five plus one and Iran and At least so far, there's no particular indication that they have violated the terms of that agreement. Uh, And what what Donald Trump was clearly referring to uh, in terms of the Iranians was the support that the Iranians had given to Hezbollah and and similar groups in the, the Near East in conflicts in places like Syria. Now, you can argue that and you can debate that, but the specifics of the nuclear accord do not appear to have been violated. And that's, in fact, um, what should have been the focus of his discussion, rather than simply calling it the worst agreement ever signed by anybody in the course of history, or whatever his phrasing was. Um, it, the whole thing is, and it's going to be, let's put it this way, Uh, It's going to be this Donald Trump speech is going to be studied by people who specialize in trying to analyze public rhetoric for a long time.
0: Well, we'll leave it there for today. Thank you so much, Brooke Spector, Associate Editor at The Daily Maverick.